We are so thankful for the ministry of the Spirit as we uh, turn to God's Word. Um, He who caused these words uh, to be penned by the Apostle Paul is alive and well and working in our hearts too, to write these things on our hearts and to empower us to lives of obedience. Thank God. Thank God for His Word. And I want to say it is truly a delight to see um, you here today. We are glad, uh, glad to be here. Uh, we turn to Romans 15, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. And even as we're reading this at this time, uh, I, I'm going to consider this as all one portion, one text. And it is. Uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, saying one thing. And verses 8 through, uh, through 13, um, saying something that sounds very different, but I want you to see the connection. It's very important to see the connection in these two, uh, these two passages. I will hopefully be able to make that clear as we, as we preach. This is God's Word, and it is always good news, and it is always true. Praise Him. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together uh, you may with one voice glorify the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I shall praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is God's holy, precious, and reliable word. A number of years ago, um, I purchased some uh, insurance, some life insurance, and uh, the guy who sold me this insurance uh, said to me, this is an elegant policy. And he went on to describe the fact that it uh, it has points similar to a term life insurance policy, that is, the premiums were somewhat lower than in a whole life policy, and yet the, the uh, 
the, the payout at death grew through the years. So it was, it had two qualities to it. And this insurance nerd, I guess you could say, well, that is elegant. And I guess I would like for all of us to be somewhat nerdy in terms of the power of the gospel working in the church of Christ that we could say that Paul's passage here is elegant. It is elegant. It is beautiful. Now, there's a problem, of course, that Paul is addressing. There were weaker brothers in the church, brothers and sisters, uh, from Jewish backgrounds who had come into the church through faith in Christ, and yet they followed Old Testament um, commands uh, in, in light of what they would eat and also their liturgical calendar. These things commanded in the Old Testament that they believed, therefore, were better, better for them, even as Christians, to continue to obey. They had an emotional attachment to these things, these religious traditions, and they were bound by conscience to obey. That was the weaker brother. The stronger brother, we might say, had more robust and clear faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who did away with those ceremonial things and, and was therefore, uh, they, they, enjoyed, they enjoyed liberty in him not to obey those religious traditions. Now that's the background. And I've said in the last couple of weeks that that is not precisely our problem today. Uh, we instead have other challenges to which we must apply these principles. Uh, we have uh, different views, uh, different perspectives. There are disputable things, and certainly things related to the COVID uh, situation uh, come to mind. Secondary things can divide us even though they are secondary. But there is an elegant solution. Elegant solution to this problem that is laid out in chapters 14 and 15. And, and it begins in the beginning of, of chapter 14. Uh, Paul addresses our attitude. Our attitude. We are prone to judge others. Not only their decisions, but how they arrive at them. We're prone to judge motives. Paul says, don't judge people on these secondary matters. Stand firm on the things of eternal truth. Yes, don't judge on secondary matters, but instead welcome those with whom you disagree, even as God has welcomed you. Be a welcoming people. That's your attitude. And then Paul moves in the second part of chapter 12 to your behavior, to your actions. Take responsibility to do something, in particular, to remove, as you are able, stumbling blocks from the weaker brother. In this case, in the case Paul's addressing, they had a problem with eating pork, or with, they had a problem, yes, with eating pork, and so you would not eat your BLTs in front of them, okay? That's, so you've got attitude, you've got action, and then here, what we're looking at today, in, in chapter 15, we're looking at, at, at motive. What drives you? What drives you? You need to look at your attitude. You need to look at what action steps God is calling you to. But you need also to be motivated properly. And it is very simply for the glory of God. 
Everything we do must be for the glory of God. Every decision we make, even now, in the, especially now in the midst of this COVID thing, which can tear even Christians apart, we must do things for the glory of God. We're going to see two things in this passage today. We're going to see that we are called to practice harmony for the glory of God. Practice harmony for the glory of God. And then display harmony to the world for the glory of God. Practice and display. Practice and display. I, I, I read over my uh, thesis statement for this message this morning, and it seemed a little, a little confusing, and I've changed a little bit. If you're using the outline that was provided, I'm changing it, and I hope up, up, upgrading it a little bit. This is what I want to get at today. That you and I would pursue self-forgetful, other-pleasing harmony for the glory of God. That you and I would pursue self-forgetful, other-pleasing harmony for the glory of God. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 7. Practice harmony for the glory of God. We are called here to please others and not ourselves. This is addressed to the strong. This is addressed to the stronger brother who is to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, when we think of that word, bear with... It, sometimes we can we have what comes to mind is it, it's a grudging tolerance. It, it's enduring their immaturity. Just come on, you know, get over it. But I guess we have to just put up with them. That is not what this term "bear with" means. It, it, it has to do with these ideas of carrying and supporting, carrying, helping to carry, and supporting. Bear with being aware of weaknesses, but then helping to carry, helping them to deal with those weaknesses. And in this context, it means being willing to do something that is costly for their sake. To forego some freedom you have in Christ for their sake. Are you with me so far? Freedom, give up some freedom that you have in Christ to help support and care for the one with the weaker brother, the one who is the weaker brother. Now, let me stop. We recognize also from other places in Scripture that this command to bear with is applied to all believers, weaker brother and stronger brother. So there is a sense in which we work together, we are called to bear and help each other, uh, in this process of living, being, living sacrifices. Beginning of chapter 12. And to be living sacrifices does call us to, uh, to suffer for Christ. Now, now pleasing ourselves. <laughs> pleasing ourselves is something that we are distressingly good at. <laughs> We are, it is easy, it is very easy, and it is, in a sense, natural. The natural man, the natural woman slides into this. And yet we see, if we take just a moment, how is it, it is at the root of so much human fracturing. Pleasing of self. Pleasing of self. 
in our families, our selfishness can drive huge wedges between husband and wife, between children themselves and parents and children. There can be an attitude in in the home of of coldness and mercilessness because we are pleasing ourselves. And it is wicked. And it is all too easy. We see in the world as well that we can stop listening to others who might be on the other side of a particular political matter. We stop listening. We say they have nothing that they can teach us. We have nothing to learn from them. And we ostracize and just... And be very, very harsh and condemning in our attitude. And yet, the winds of self-pleasing can also drift into the church. And so I, I present this as a goal. As much as we can, as much as we can uh, live in harmony, put harmony above our preferences. As much as we're able living in the, under the Lordship of Christ in the Kingdom of God, as much as we're able, um, put, our, put harmony above our press preferences. Do what we can to please the other rather than ourselves. Outdo one another in showing honor. So that means, as, as we are, have opened up the church, and, it's, and it is wonderful to see you here, we also want to be aware of those who are not here and to be as careful as we can to provide a context in which they may safely return. Why? That's a little bit more of the what, but why? And Paul, uh, one writer, one gospel, uh, one, one writer of commentary put it this way. Paul, Paul uses a sledgehammer. And I'll not come any closer God uses, uh, Paul uses a sledgehammer to crush a, 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 a bubble. Uses a very big weapon to solve a relatively small problem. And that sledgehammer is, um, is Jesus Christ who came into this world not to please himself, but to serve others. That's the sledgehammer. Big enough to handle our little bubbles that we put out there. So following Christ costs every one of us. And you must measure uh, your cost against the price that he paid. I want to draw your attention to Hebrews 12, verse 2 for just a moment. As we consider the cost that Christ paid. As we consider uh, what he gave uh, of himself for us. Hebrews 12, 2. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame for the joy set before him. Despising its shame. Well, what does this mean? He endured the cross, the cup of God's wrath. He endured being unjustly charged and accused. He suffered for sinners who hated him while he was suffering for them. He went through enormous physical and emotional uh, uh, turmoil. He endured the cross despising the shame. He, he, was, um, he, he was betrayed by a fr- one friend and denied by another. He was, he was subject to public scorn. He was mocked, not for saying he was God, but for being God. Mocked by those who made him. 
What was it for? It was for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? Listen to this. The joy was um, having you with him in peaceful joy forever. Why did Jesus do this suffering? What was the joy that was set before him? Um, Having you with him in peaceful joy forever. He finds his joy in giving you the greatest gift of enjoying him. I as a, it is my get or it's my it is my greatest joy to do things that give joy to my wife. Uh, she had mentioned uh, Gail had mentioned some time ago a little a little caulking that would really be nice to be dug out and re recaulked, and I filed that away. But unfortunately, I filed it really deep back here, and time went by. We could even say years went by. Willing to be honest. And and, um, and and I finally I finally dug it out and put a fine and beautiful bead of caulk right along that edge and around these two corners and and it was a very good job and I'm thankful that I was able to do that. But what was even more uh, gratifying to me was that Gail said to me, "I see that every day and I appreciate it." Wonderful, wonderful. Jesus went through enormous grief and suffering and the pains of the cross to bring joy into your life and the joy of of being satisfied in Him, your spouse's love. That's the point of it. That's the peak of it. And so, let's extend that a little bit. Our joy, then, must include Um, being together with our brothers and sisters for whom Jesus died in our um, harmonious worship. We too then receive the benefits of Christ having died for us and he is looking forward to that time when we'll all be together in heaven in that joyful harmony and he says now enjoy it on a more more earthly level right now which is what we're doing today and it's beautiful. It's a lovely thing, wonderful thing. And so according to this passage, we want to be willing to eat, and you are. None of you is, is comfortable with that thing above in your face there. None of you is comfortable with that. And yet you're here, bearing up with that little bubble of a pain, that bubble of an inconvenience in light of what Christ has done for us. It is, in fact, the glory of God that we put up with injustice, unjust suffering of many kinds, as Christ did suffering for the unrighteous and the undeserving. So as Andrew mentioned at the beginning of this service, we are all to follow state guidelines. Uh, We are, even though we find them inconvenient, and uncomfortable, um, you may ache for hugs. Um, or not. Some of you don't look forward to hugs. Uh, but you may ache for hugs. And yet you decline. That is a form of suffering. You are here, and we pray as a church we will be increasingly capable 
uh, in our faithful compliance uh, to the directives to give a green light so we will not uh, we will not uh, we will be able to have harmonious worship with not only yourselves but the rest of the congregation and others as well and so we pursue harmony for the glory of God and notice that God gives endurance and encouragement endurance and encouragement you can do this as you behold Christ in his suffering for us you are encouraged and you are given endurance to be able to stay at it so we sing with harmony in our hearts and in our voices to the glory of God in verse 6 we we give praise to the Lord now now let your eyes slide down to verse 7 and, and we see uh, we see uh, that word welcome um, um, it, it, it is another translation's accept, welcome, accept, and, and that acceptance works both ways in the Church of Jesus Christ. In in chapter one, uh, uh, chapter fourteen, all the way up through this point in chapter fifteen, it is the stronger brother who is welcoming, who is providing accommodation, who is providing. Um, Removing obstacles so that the weaker brother can worship in, in harmony. Uh, and yet here, in, in this verse, uh, we are to welcome one another. This is all members welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, so far, in these two messages, and even three messages now that I've preached on this section... The emphasis has been um, on the stronger brother welcoming and bearing with the weak. And our application has been the appropriate care for seniors and those who are vulnerable health-wise. And that is right. And that is good. Our good goal is to be the most inclusive place for as many as possible to unite in harmonious worship for the glory of God. That is our goal. That is our goal, to be the most inclusive place for as many as possible to unite in harmonious worship for the glory of God. And I was reminded this past week uh, by a member of our congregation um, that in this emphasis it is possible to neglect others, perhaps not those who are seniors, or not those with underlying conditions, and to be also mindful as a church to care for families with small children, doing what we can, because we want, Owen, we want to be kid-friendly here for you and your friends. We want to be kid-friendly. Uh, we want uh, to have... Um, we want kids to be here and to enjoy it as much as we can within those safe guidelines. And I just want to say that the elders are, are, are struggling through this, are working through this. We're not done yet. Uh, the guidelines that we have, I'm, I, I suspect, especially as this pandemic lengthens, will be modified as we grow in wisdom. So I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray. Speak to us about concerns that you may have as well. That's chapter 15, 1 through 7. What is the connection between this section and the section to follow? Uh, in this earlier section, 
14.1 to 15.7. This is it's talking about Jew and Gentile unity in the church. Jew and Gentile being able to sing with one voice to the glory of God. People welcoming one another across that racial divide with the cultural differences that exist. So there is one harmonious body singing to the glory of God in heaven, looking forward to that time of being with the Lord forever. We are welcoming one another. In chapter, in, in chapter 15, verse 8, the doors of the church are kicked wide open. And it is said from the very beginning, this is exactly what God had in mind. This is God's program to open up the church. It's not for Jews only. It is for Jews and Gentiles, equal footing by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jews cannot despise Gentiles saying something like this. Well, we were here first, which gives us a bit of an edge. In fact, the whole point of the Abrahamic covenant was to bring nations in alongside the Jewish Jewish people. And Gentiles cannot despise Jews and say, you crucified the author of life. When as a matter of fact, it was God's plan and foreknowledge that Christ would be crucified for all peoples. And so it says here in verse 8 that Christ serves both Jew and Gentile. He serves Jews by showing God's truthfulness. What he promised to Abraham is now being brought out. What he promised to the patriarchs has come true in Christ. Jesus serves Gentiles. They are brought in so that together they may glorify God, the God of mercy. And this is the whole point of history. It's the whole point, the plan of all of the things that God has told us in his word. To bring Jew and Gentile together internationally for the glory of God. And I, and I do, I, I want us to look at briefly, very briefly, at these, just notice these four texts from, from the Old Testament. There are four Old Testament passages that Paul uses to display, to buttress his point. One of them is from the historical books, one of them is from the law, one of them is from the wisdom literature, and one of them is from the prophets. Do you see Paul's logic? He's taking one from all of those major portions of Scripture and he's building a case. And listen, to that show, I'll show you how he does it. Verse 9, text from 2 Samuel. Praise God among the Gentiles. You are praising Jewish people, but and among them, the Gentiles are watching. Deuteronomy, in, in, in verse 10, the passage in Deuteronomy. Now the nations are joined in with God's people pointing to the time when Jews and Gentiles would be in the church together. Not just looking anymore, but now joining in. And then in, the, in verse 11 from the Psalms, there is a wide, powerful, effective call. Many will come. It is, God does not have small plans. He has big plans. Many will come. And then verse 12, the reference from Isaiah. Jesus will come to rule the Gentiles, the nations. Gentiles will hope in him. In a day of hopelessness, this is amazingly good news. The big picture then is, of course, we in the church live in harmony with one another. Of course, we in the church are bearing with one another for 
God's glory and for our joy. Of course, we in the church have, if you will, our harmony and our welcoming spirit as a welcome mat for unbelievers to come in and get a peek at exactly what God means by the good news. The lives of people changed by the living Christ. Laying down our lives, even as Christ has laid down his life for us. I want to tell you about a, a congregation in, um, in, in California. It started out as a largely white congregation um, in a neighborhood, in a, a reform, white reformed congregation. Uh, and, uh, and yet the neighborhood around it began to change. It, become, it became uh, Hispanic, uh, largely Hispanic. And so the church uh, determined, okay, this is our, our, our mission field. And so they determined to reach out to the Hispanic neighbors uh, all around them. And many of them came to worship. Many of them became part of the church. And, and during the, the, the services, um, there would be, uh, there would be um, the, uh, up on the screen, there would be the, the words to the songs in, in, in Spanish as well as in English. The readings from the scripture in both languages so that people, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of sanctified cacophony going on there, but that's great. Um, and so you had, you had English and, and Spanish going on in the, in the service. Um, and, and then it was only it was only during the sermon that the Hispanic uh, people would leave the sanctuary and go down this hall and go down to the fellowship hall, and and then there was a, a, a Spanish leader who would read the the, the 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 pastor's sermon that he's delivering here. He would read it to the Hispanic people down in the fellowship hall. So they were getting the same worship, same message, and everything was going great um, as as this largely Hispanic or this uh, this congregation was 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 growing. Well, the the Latin group, the Hispanic group, outgrew the the white congregation, the English speaking congregation, and they were growing like a like wildfire, uh, wildfire, and they and they were busting out of the gymnasium. And here's, you know, 70 people in a room this size. And so they said, okay, what are we going to do? And the pastor and the elders just got together. They, they, loved, they loved meeting in their space. Um, and they decided, uh, they decided that uh, they would give up um, the sanctuary in which they had been worshiping for generations. And they went up to the chapel, down the hall, upstairs, and they let the Spanish people come here into this room and have their Spanish service. That's elegant. That's beautiful. That is deferring to another. That is giving something up that you love for another, for the glory of God speaking more powerfully than perhaps any single message could of God's glory. So we have big hopes, don't we? We see in verse 13, verse 13, um, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Uh, The God of hope 
who alone gives hope in our fractured world, uh, who sent his son to bring down the wall of hostility so that in the church there is both white and black, Asian, Hispanic, for the glory of God, the God of hope. May this God fill you with joy and peace through faith so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pull this together, these last three messages that we've considered from this section. I'm going to do that with just one question. How is God using a lengthening pandemic to grow and to mature the church. Every word of that is kind of important. How is God, it's his pandemic. How is God using a lengthening pandemic? It's getting longer. We need, as this passage says, endurance and encouragement to stick it out, don't we? How is God using this lengthening pandemic to grow, to mature the church. That's really the point. It's all right there. What are you doing with the pandemic? And what are we doing with the pandemic as a church, in our relationships, for the glory of God? And I think I think. First of all, everybody has to learn, in some way or other, to put aside their own preference for the glory of God. I think we all have to do that. It's going to be different places for different people. But that's got to be a principle. Put aside my preference for the glory of God. A second thing is that we may not, and I plead with you now, brothers and sisters, we may not, borrow the goals and strategies from the political sphere in our country in order to deal with this problem. We may not simply import what people are doing politically into this place. The rules are absolutely different here. They just are. We are following Christ who laid down his life for us in order to establish a community, each of us giving up something in order to to accommodate and bless the people around us. And one thing will be, one fruit, one thing God will be developing in each of us is growing in mutual bearing with one another. That's, That's one thing. And then there are the Gentiles outside. We've got Gentiles in here, but there are also Gentiles outside. And a beautiful thing is that we welcome people out of the strife that goes on out there. Please hear me. We welcome people out of the strife that goes on out there to be here where we rest in the harmony of the gospel in joyful, Christ-centered praise. We've learned to live together with joy and in peace. And that is a huge welcome back. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for today.
Thank you for a day to worship. Thank you for a day to see each other's faces, at least the top half of those faces. Thank you for the opportunity to sing together, to pray together, to hear the beauty of your word together, to hear of the elegant plan that you have to help us get through this pandemic. For the glory of God and for the ingathering of the Gentiles, please, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with joy and peace. Fill our hearts with gratitude. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.